Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Oh, checking along, checking along. Sun is out. Yeah. Spring is here. It's practically Easter. It is um, practically Easter. It's just, you know, it's the evening time and I haven't got all my lights on, um, which is nice. I know. I love a daylight savings. Daylight savings is the best. And you're the only person who does, but it is nice to I, have. <laughs> I, think, I think I am one of the ones who thinks that we should just be permanent on daylight savings time because I would always rather it be lighter in the evening than in the morning. I, I agree. Down um, with switching clocks about anyway that's not what we're here yeah. for uh, <laughs> it's not what we're here for no um, one cares about that no we're here because we are emma and janina and we are here together history is sexy and we ask we answer the questions that you ask because you cannot be bothered or do not want to google them yourselves which is fair enough because sometimes it takes a really long time and a lot of reading of boring things to find yeah. the good stuff. So coming here is a wise choice. <laughs> we'll do it for you and you don't even have to pay us if you don't want to. <laughs> you don't, but you can uh, if you would you like can. to. I mean, um, you know, we have, um, we have... a Kofi, and we now have a thing where you can support us monthly if you want. You don't really get anything for it, but you can um, give us three yeah. quid a month. And who knows, if enough if enough people do, maybe we'll do something exciting for you at some yeah. point. We have one so far. We're, We've got so two thank you so now. Much. Literally, um, as I, I was setting up the call to um, to do this, a second one. So Amanda and Philip are our first two. Ah, thank you so I believe Amanda's question is already quite far up, but maybe what we should do for regular supporters is just, you can jump the queue a bit if you ask yeah, a question. Yeah, we'll bump you up a little bit. Um, Speaking of, we might get to Amanda's question today, um, if we have time, because what happened... So, the main question for today is from Deborah Fox, and it is, can you do a podcast about clothes in history, what was allowed forbidden, slash colours, materials, lengths? And I thought, oh, that'd be... Like, can't be that many times when there have been specific laws about (laughs) this kind of thing, right? Um, So I immediately thought of the Romans, because the Romans have these occasional sumptuary laws. Um, I thought, I'll talk about that bit. Mm -hmm. And then... There maybe there's one or two other times because the way that it's always taught when you're taught about Roman sumptuary laws is that they did this mad thing and it was clearly deranged. And it turns out that like a full day of research later, (laughs) uh, clothing laws are way more common than you think they are. Yeah, I even even have a sumptuary law in my section, which was, I was just looking at Amanda's question, which is underwear, so... They are everywhere. Um, and they seem to be a really specific feature of empire. And when mm. you are either attempting, when you have either been a colonizer turning up and attempting to colonize a place, then you get loads of clothing laws. And the colonizers then mm-hmm. also impose them upon themselves because there's too much stuff coming in. Um, and people are, uh, they find that their identity is either being eroded in some way or uh, uh, that their economy is being damaged by it. So it seems that clothing laws are the fault of colonialism. It was colonialism all along, Janina. So that was extremely fun. That's where I started looking, is thinking, where are times when there have been laws about what people can wear and as I say a full day later I hadn't really finished with that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I kind of was like oh I could be here for the rest of my life or I could just stop so I have got 
like a quite a lot of different examples from throughout history and around the world and different empires um when there have been laws on what people are allowed to wear for various different reasons that's very yeah. good um yeah. so that might take up quite a lot of time um so if we've got time we will do amanda's question and this doesn't turn out to be a two-hour podcast but if not then we well the thing is about amanda's question which is what's the history of underwear, is that the history of underwear is basically loincloths and then the Middle Ages. <laughs> what happens so, in the Middle Ages? Um, <laughs> which isn't necessarily because underwear didn't change during that time, but no one was writing about it and there isn't any evidence of much. We have, like, we have found loincloths from ancient Egypt, uh, for example, but we don't know of anything different until people started writing about it, which didn't, they just didn't. Because it wasn't very interesting. <laughs> so, our first supporter, and you've said she's asked a boring question. Thanks, Janine. <laughs> no, she's asked a fascinating question that for a long time people were interested in. But it was also because for a lot of the time it appears to be like, yeah, we'll just put something over your bits and not think any more about it. And it's not until the influx of huge amounts of cotton and brocade and embroidery and uh, that that it starts to become an area where things change so where there, where there are things to be okay. said is my understanding <laughs> so maybe we'll paper it through okay. and maybe we'll get to it later we'll see how we'll, we'll, we'll see how it pans out, out. That, you know? so those are our two questions for today so with one as a got a mini and a main to quote from race chaser <laughs> um which you yeah. don't listen to so <laughs> that was of no use um but if you happen to listen to race chaser you know that we've got a mini and a main right so to begin with this is where I started, is with the Romans, because the first thing that comes mm-hmm. into my head when people say what's allowed with clothing is the Lex Opia from 213, when the Romans were becoming a proper big empire and they were coming properly rich for the first time um, because they were, they'd were they basically finished beating up everyone in Italy. Um, but when you're beating mm-hmm. up people in Italy, you just get more Italian stuff, right? Um they had started beating up people across the sea and stealing their stuff as well. Um, and what that meant was that stuff started coming in. They kind of they went to Sicily and then they went to North Africa. And things once you've got North African supply line, you've then got um, supply lines going into India and Asia and China and Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. So stuff started flooding into Rome. Um, that had not previously been easily available um and so what they did mm-hmm. but the romans don't like luxury um theoretically they don't like luxury they claim to not like luxury while also being absolutely covered in gold at all times um but they insist that it's, very... it's the simple elegance that they're going for simple elegance yeah. of just complete um, so they'll con- perpetually insist that it's un-roman to be luxurious while simultaneously um being very luxurious um <laughs> so two, two on three, uh, they bring in this uh, law called the um, Lex Opia, named after the person who invented it, which was basically to ban certain types of female adornment. Sure, naturally, naturally, female adornment. M- men can we? Now you see, want. this is the interesting thing because that is exactly what I thought. Because this is like this is my baseline <laughs> for what I think of when I think of this, which is it bans women from wearing multicolored clothing. Um, Mm -hmm. And it limits women to wearing only half an ounce of gold. Which is a very small amount of gold. So that's like my baseline. Um, But then as you're looking, you find that 
the Romans are massive outliers because this is pretty much the only time they ever try to talk about clothing in law. Um, they had kind of customs for law, like they wore togas that had different coloured stripes on them to show what rank you were, and special senators wore special red shoes. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but this is the only time that they ever tried to really talk about kind of civilian clothing, um, and it was about women. But everyone else. Mm-hmm does it all the time but only talks about male clothing really Mm. it is really unusual to specifically talk about female clothing because most of the time laws that have been brought in um to concern what people are wearing have been to do with social hierarchies in court and within a bureaucracy um And so most of them have been concerned with what men can wear. Right, yeah. I mean, that's the only law that I came across for underwear is from 1533 is that only not, you have to be at least a knight to have um, your underwear garnished with silk, gold or silver. <laughs> yes, you see, this is exactly the kind of thing that we're talking <laughs> about. Um, so, okay, so the first European, like, post-ancient European sumptuary law is 1157 in Genoa and the Italians seem to have been well into these um, which regulates the use of sable furs which cost over 40 solidi in hems Uh so you can only have so many and they can only be so big sure Um, and then I mean that makes sense because otherwise you're just going to run out (laughs) yes and it's about you know um regulating displays of conspicuous consumption there um mm-hmm. the kind of next interesting one is from the next century and is from burgundy um and i enjoy this one a lot because it legislates the length of a point of a shoe amazing so at the very lowest end of the rank is commoners so just people without any kind mm-hmm. of rank or title they can have up to six inches as a point on the toe of their shoe which is significant. Wow. Like, <laughs> I was expecting you to say that the commoners were not allowed any points. They had to have blunt You wait until we get to where the prince is allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so that, in comparison to the prince, the prince is allowed a 24-inch point on his shoes. That's two for... I mean, this is where... This is, this is where you have to remember... And I think it's always fun to remember that all fashion is, the point of it is to show that you are yeah. rich. And the way that that happens is if you are rich, you wear things that are just the most impractical. You cannot get anything done with a 24 <laughs> inch point on your shoe. <laughs> and so therefore you must be so immensely wealthy that you don't have to get anything yeah, and done. And look how much totally pointless leather you can afford. So much pointless Take leather. Janina. That's insane. Um, yeah, and presumably people went around like measuring stuff. <laughs> yeah, it would be like a, a you know a Catholic girls' school where they'd measure whether your uh, skirt was close enough. Yeah, to your if knee, it's two inches below the knee, you, but for your shoes, like you are too common to be wearing shoes. Exactly. Imagine if you saw a commoner wearing a foot-long <laughs> shoe. Unbelievable. Disgusting. I wonder if people ever ran into problems because they just had unusually long and, <laughs> and 
they had to prove that <laughs> it wasn't a point on the end of it. It was just their foot. Maybe. Like they just had one really long toe. Yeah, and it might work in reverse as well. Like your shoes don't look as impressive, but it's just because your feet are really small. <laughs> so they start the point starts further back than on other. But people. you're not. But you're only allowed a six inch shoe. So oh, a nightmare. A nightmare. Oh, a as I assume was walking in a two foot shoe. <laughs> <laughs> See, you cannot. You cannot walk oh, in those. You only can wear them if all you're going to do is yeah, sit around and be carried places, presumably. Exactly. Uh, yes. Anyway, so there's plenty of these, um, like this kind of thing dotted about. Um, one standout mm-hmm. one for women is that um, in Venice, at one point, you could be excommunicated for having trains that were too long. Um, but that just seems sensible. I, I bet it was one of those things where everyone was just getting carried away and causing holdups in the streets because everyone possibly. was having to wait for these trains to um, go past. Once we get to the Tudors, however, is when it really starts to get interesting. Um, Because the Tudors got Mm -hmm. Henry and Mary and Elizabeth, particularly, mostly because Edward's only around for about a minute, um, (laughs) made loads of laws about who was allowed to wear what, both in their own court and Mm -hmm. in their colonies, specifically in Ireland. Really? Um, and there's two reasons. So they've got, they're basically, they're both a function of empire. So they're both a function of the fact that Henry VIII has built the first proper navy. Um, Britain is starting to exert an influence in a way like beyond France, the left of France, um, than it has for a long time. (laughs) Um, well, that has ever really. And it has, um, take, it started in basically invading Ireland properly um, and starting it's really working on oppressing the shit out of Ireland yeah which had been a long time coming right didn't they get they first started taking bits of Irish land back in like the 13th yeah, century so they're always nipping in took, it took a while for them to claim um, the rest of but it. now they're making a fairly concerted effort to quote unquote subdue Ireland um, mm-hmm. so I'm going to talk about the ones um, that they enacted for the Irish first or for people who were living in Ireland um, because there are separate Mm -hmm. laws for Englishmen who have moved to Ireland as part of plantations or as part of uh, colonisation efforts and and Irish native people, so indigenous Irish people. Sure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You're going to enjoy this, I suspect. Um, the first law comes about in 1297 uh, and it forbids people from wearing the Irish hat, which is called a cullan, um, which mm-hmm. is enacted in order to prevent people, prevent English people from being accidentally murdered because they were mistaken for an Irishman. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. That is... I want to say I'm surprised. Don't be. <laughs> and I am, but also, of course, naturally. Uh, yeah. This was then, you get the yeah. big one, which is in 1366. This is all pre-Tudor, obviously. Uh, 1366, you get a thing called the Statute mm. of Kilkenny, uh, which made wearing mm-hmm. Irish clothing punishable by death because Irish clothing was contrary to reason. Oh, well, this is, this is um, there was some nice uh, help being done to the to the poor 
Irish and they're unseemly dressed at this point. Um, there's a, a French uh, French dude called Jean-Francois who wrote these chronicles about uh, many things, including Ireland, where he talks about how he would send the poor Irish loads of linen drawers because in Ireland people didn't wear underwear, basically. Wow. So uh, he was like, oh, like, we can't have this. So he sent loads That's of linen drawers to, Strange and, thing to, to do. cure them of their and I quote, boorish and unseemly Yes, habits. that's the kind of way that people talk about yeah. Irish people a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. um, right, so they all repeat, that, those laws are repeated over and over again, uh, to the extent that one suspects that um, British people were wearing, quote-unquote, Irish clothing a lot. Um, so they was like, well, I wonder what Irish clothing is. Irish native dress, quote-unquote, is a mantle, mm-hmm. which is a big, long, sleeveless mm-hmm. cloak with a lovely hood, which was hated mm-hmm. and considered to be barbarous because it afforded them too much freedom of movement and was insufficiently gendered. So they were all too, they comfortable, were too comfortable and androgynous. And androgynous. Oh, Everyone man. was too comfortable and that made the English uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the beginning of a long of, of, of a long trail of punishing various indigenous people for dressing in ways that are suited to the climate and forcing them to, like, going, for example, to, you know, the um, Pacific Islands where people don't wear much and just forcing and them to like, wear... And being like, would you like to wear these woolen trousers? And, yeah. They're, they're incredibly yeah. uncomfortable and itchy and you'll love them. <laughs> you will sweat all day long. Um but we won't be confronted with your skin. Yeah. So, um, And then uh, there's also a thing called a glib, which took me ages to find out what it was, which is a kind of big shaggy hat um, that they pulled down over Amazing. the eyes. Uh, and they didn't like that because uh, women also wore them, which meant they couldn't tell when they were, I don't know, hitting a woman. Um, and also they couldn't tell them apart. They didn't like that. So those things. Well, I, what I like about this the most mm-hmm. is that the laws are... So to stop English people from yes. wearing them. So clearly the English rocked up and were like, these look yeah. great. <laughs> these look so comfortable. I'm never wearing jeans yes. again. Uh, basically so they I'm were like, I have spent my time in time. Like, uh, the like Stuart Court, not the Stuart Court, can't remember who comes before the Tudors, but the Plantagenet Court. Um, and the Plantagenet Court is very into britches and tights. And now all of a sudden... Yeah, collars that don't let you move exactly. your chin. Exactly. I haven't been able to swallow comfortably for the past 12 years. And now all of a sudden I get to wear this lovely warm hat and a big flowy cloak. Brilliant. Uh, but then yeah. the kind of the Irish government... Uh, the English government in Ireland, sorry, so the kind of Dublin-based government, just can, like repeatedly call them things like uh, ugly and say that they confirm their strangest and alienation for, of mind from us, our laws, and our government. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that though? Yes. So that was so that was the first thing. There's also laws which say that the Irish have to wear those clothes, um, and they're not allowed to wear like fancy brocadey shit. So that people know exactly. So, like the original plan is hard line um, differentiation between the two different Mm -hmm. uh, what they called races, even though they are you can see England, (laughs) but still, Um, (laughs) and largely they are very uh, aware 
that they are very close and so which is why they are um initially so hell-bent on in kind of maintaining visual distance between the english and the irish yeah. um you have to force a distinction because it's not obvious exactly then comes henry the eighth and henry eighth has a whole new idea um which is that's not working out very well people keep putting on the comfortable things so what we're going to do instead is we're not going to go with the comfortable things that would be barbarous we're going to instead force <laughs> all irish people to conform to english customs um by this is when you start to get the eradication of the irish language um but by f- <laughs> forbidding them from wearing irish clothing so now everyone sure. is banned from wearing nice mantles and hats um cool and again like this is that that sort of carry on is literally still has ramifications today not in ireland necessarily but in other well i mean the irish language is still barely spoken as a result direct result of these laws um and you will still find irish people in fact i saw someone on the internet the other day saying that they didn't want to send their child to an irish speaking school because what's the point it's a dead language um as a direct result of these laws that were aimed to eradicate irishness and um, and force them to conform to um, Britishness or Englishness. Um, yeah. And they are repeated um, over it's... and over again. Yeah. And I like when I say that the, the dress thing c- continues today, there was um, only a couple of months ago, last month maybe, uh, a New Zealand MP was kicked out of Parliament Chamber because he wasn't wearing a tie. Um, because instead of wearing a tie... He was wearing um, traditional Maori pendant. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he, he had this big ponamu in place of the thing, but a tie is a dress code. So he got kicked out by the speaker in it. Um, like, that was this year. That was 2021, yeah. um, which is a total colonial Absolutely. I did get... Yeah. So thanks, thanks England. England. Honestly, the English suck. They just turn up everywhere and ruin everything. I say as an English person who doesn't live in England. <laughs> Um, and I say as a New Zealand one who moved to England yeah Um, so yeah so his attempt is to basically outlaw all Irishness uh, which is repeated by Elizabeth and then repeated again by James I slash 6th and then good old Charles I strikes down all the laws um, and says this isn't working lads like if we they have to do it uh, 1537, 1565, 1584, 1588, 1624. <laughs> you get the feeling that if you have to repeat your law that many times, it's not, it's not working. The, the Coke was just too comfortable. Yeah, you can't ask people to keep wearing high heels when there are sneakers <laughs> exactly. available. Um, anyway, at the same time that all of this is going on, um, in England, in London, really, specifically, but also amongst, like, the aristocracy, the English aristocracy. Um, starting in about 1510, we get peak English sumptuary laws, um, when Parliament mm-hmm. suddenly becomes very, very concerned with what they call inordinate excesses in apparel. Um, and sure. they introduce a thing called the Acts of Apparel, um, which is completely focused on what men are wearing until elizabeth elizabeth introduces a couple on women but they are very very centralized they come directly from parliament they're mostly about what parliamentarians and the royal court are wearing um Mm -hmm. and they do this partly because people are buying too many foreign things (laughs) 
This is so English. <laughs> they are buying too many foreign woolen stockings and foreign cloths. And it is How hurting the English cloth economies, which at that time are big. Um, so they sure. outlaw those. Um, and also... Um, and this is a, a theme that repeats over and over again because things are coming from abroad and people are now making trade money that they were not making previously people who are not members mm-hmm. of the aristocracy are getting rich and people who kind of are kind of lower end members of the aristocracy are getting richer than they're perceived to, to that they should be and that means they're suddenly mm-hmm. wearing fancy purple gold silver embroidered things because they can afford them right um, and it's so they look like they're fancy when, when they're, they're not, not fancy, fancy in the blood and as you know that's what matters um <laughs> is what so matters. first uh basically it outlines all of the different kind of ranks and honors and what you're allowed to wear so if you're the king or the member of the royal family the king queen princess whatever then mm-hmm. you are allowed to wear purple and gold tissue, so mm-hmm. gold fabric. So is that the first time the purple thing is a thing? Uh, Romans are also well into the purple thing. Um, so okay. uh, only the emperor is allowed to wear a completely purple toga. Um, it's because mm-hmm. purple is really hard to dye, so it's expensive. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, but so it's, it's a European thing to a certain extent. Um, but only... The king is allowed to wear purple, and he's the only person allowed to wear gold, shiny fabric. (laughs) Dukes and marquises, 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 um, are allowed to wear a bit of gold tissue, but only on their sleeveless coats. Not on a (laughs) coat with sleeves. So, Uh waistcoat, basically. Um sure otherwise it is to the stocks with you like you know there's long ways so they're allowed to wear but only on that Mm -hmm. earls and above are allowed to wear gold or silver on their sleeveless coats but if you're below an earl then you're not allowed only earls and above are allowed to wear sable fares Mm -hmm. um but you can wear imported fares if you are a university graduate, a yeoman, a groom or page of the king or queen, or a person with an income of £11 a year. <laughs> I wonder how long they spent debating all these I levels. I feel like it was probably a long time, because I'm really just picking out the, <laughs> the highlights. <laughs> um, this is the, here's the wool bit. So only lords and knights of the garter, so the very highest... Um, are allowed mm-hmm. to wear imported wool. So Italian sure. wool and things like that. Everyone else has to wear English wool. Only sure. knights in the garter and above are allowed to wear blue or crimson. That one at least is a little bit more policeable. I don't know how <laughs> they go around investigating go people. To someone and be like, where did you get that wool? <laughs> um, and then... Only, this one's a bit more generous, royal servants and above are allowed to wear velvet, satin or damask. Um, so we still would not mm-hmm. be allowed to wear anything. But this is all male clothing. Um, and it is because there is too much social mobility occurring. Um, he says mm-hmm. that he needs to stop the confusion of the degrees of all estates. 
Um, the last sure. we want is the Nouveau Riche coming and ruining everything. No, you do not want to think someone is an earl and then find out they're just a dirty exactly. merchant. Exactly, disgusting. Um, then mm-hmm. Elizabeth adds women into that. So she says that duchesses, marquesses and countesses are included. Um and says that mm-hmm. women outside of the royal court are not allowed to wear cloth embroidered with gold, silver or pearl or enameled chains, buttons, aglets or borders. Sure. Yes. I mean, I just don't know who's going and peering at anyone's aglets. <laughs> Apparently people were That seems like a horrible a job. Um, and then in 1563, <laughs> um, there is an act called An Act Against Such as Shall Sell Anywhere for Apparel Without Ready Money, um, which forbids... So you can't give people credit? No, what it means basically. is you are not allowed to sell foreign cloth to anyone who mm-hmm. does not have £3,000 a year as income, which is a lot. Right. Um, that is yeah. in partly in order to um partly in order to stop credit um and partly <laughs> uh to limit who is allowed to buy it um, and yeah. to uh force people to wear english stockings to help the english stocking industry which it does because the english stocking industry sure. really takes off at this exact point interesting yes. Well, which is you know. uh, but not not really amongst the aristocracy because they are really into like french and italian and stockings um, yeah so tudor period beginning of the of a, a british empire the first time that britain is something less than a pile of mud huts um <laughs> and the first thing they do is try to stop what people like try to control what people are wearing um which mm-hmm. we see repeated over and over again so to do the next one which is uh echoes very strongly what the british did in uh in ireland was what the spanish did the second that they arrived in um south central america mm-hmm. um which is absolutely despise the things that everybody was wearing but also not want them to wear what we <laughs> What, uh, what the Spanish were wearing. <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect yes. sense. If you're going to colonise a place, you really want to make it complicated. You do. Um, so they start off... Um, they don't seem to have the problem where uh, the colonisers became enamoured with the clothing of the colonised. Um, they had the issue that the um, people, particularly in Peru and Mexico, were well into like um, things that they were bringing. So like silk and um, uh, Holland cloth and velvet and things like that. They were like, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of incorporated it into their own dress, particularly their own festive dress, um, which mm-hmm. the Spanish hated very much. Uh, so um they ban andean people and um uh, indigenous peruvians and mexicans from wearing anything that was imported uh, they were only allowed sure. to wear cotton and there are letters that were written from um from peruvians to philip ii husband of mary the first the tudor the bastard mm-hmm. husband 
um, who basically saying um, the Spanish governors in our towns keep stripping us naked in the street because we are wearing clothes that we're not allowed to wear. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, uh, and say that we're only allowed to wear cotton um, and it's not very fair. Philip writes back and says, all right, stop doing that but you do have you are not allowed to wear it so just don't wear it um they won't strip you on the street anymore but they are still going to punish you by taking it away um because you as a conquered people should not be wearing celebratory clothes or nice things you should be humbled um and cowed and unattractive at all times so because we came here and stole your country you should not show off as if you are a good good and strong people yeah, by we wearing our that. clothes. Um, cool. They were also very, very deeply invested in creating races in the places that they colonised. So rolling up in Peru, rolling up in Chile and Venezuela and then kind of marking out all of the people that live there who managed to survive their arrival um, into made-up races that um, they gave largely slurs as names um <laughs> uh, and so um you have uh like amerindians at the bottom what we call amerindians now um and then you have kind of mixed race people which is they used a word that i um, mm-hmm. don't like to say um <laughs> okay. and then you have um spanish and then there's kind of variations in between that um and so they sure. create these divisions um and declare that each what each uh each quote-unquote race is allowed to wear so um indigenous people merindians are not allowed to wear any european clothing um they're not allowed to wear any Mm -hmm. clothing made of imported fabric or own a sword dagger or lance or ride on horseback with a saddle um holy shit (laughs) yes um because it was seen as too good for them um and too expensive and thought they encouraged them to become criminals um because they were obviously a quote-unquote different race as in a 17th century version of race whereby they can't you know they seem to be subhuman um i know we've said it before on this podcast but colonialism was was well bad it was just a real nightmare we should not have done um and you get all of these um people writing from like people who go from spain largely missionaries who were hell-bent on burning everything that um had been created in south and central america over hundreds (laughs) of years um and they come back and say things like you go to mexico city and you can see Indians put on a cloak and a pair of stockings and then he is a you can't tell him apart from a Spaniard, and then how are you supposed to know if you're supposed if you're you can allowed to hit him in the street or not? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are the problems. How do you know who you're allowed to maim and kill with impunity yeah. if everyone looks um, the and same. also um, a- indigenous people are forced to uh, pay tribute, um, but if you can't tell them apart, the f- interesting thing about this obviously is that the more they insist upon creating visual distinction as with the english in ireland Mm -hmm. the more they are forced to say over and over again that the distinction is imaginary and created because the only difference if someone can become a spaniard just by putting a pair of stockings and there is no difference between being a spaniard 
There is yeah. no inherent difference between it. So the more they insist upon it, they also do something interesting with women whereby they do have laws about what women are allowed to wear in terms of they're not allowed to wear imported clothing, they're not allowed to wear pearls or gold jewellery, which is wild, seeing as they've just stolen all of the gold from Mexico. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's just properly something of that one. Um, and they're not allowed to wear uh, gold or silver jewellery or silk or things like that. Um, but if they their status is not based on who like their birth but is based on who mm-hmm. they marry so sure. if an Indian marries a spaniard then she is subject to spanish rules not Indian rules okay um so she can wear some yeah. gold which is yeah another way Hang on, i'm gonna turn my light on quickly because i've got very dark in here now. there we go um another way of demonstrating how entirely made up and fictional and cruelly pointless creating races is uh-huh. um they then at the end of the 17th century pivot away from this in much the same way that the um british did in ireland as it becomes clear that this is just not enforceable in any way and just start forcing to wear amerindians to wear spanish clothing in an attempt to um both homogenize the population and and this is something mm-hmm. else that happens in Ireland, which is that um, wearing indigenous clothing comes to be um, associated with having a pride in your indigenous identity that has been imposed upon you. Um, right, and we can't exactly. Have that. So if you are going around wearing the clothing that you have been told over and over again by these guys who just towed up with guns is your place and belongs to you and is correct for you but you say okay well then i will wear it with pride (laughs) um then it becomes a mark of rebellion and then they're like no 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 (laughs) like you wear the thing but you feel bad about it uh don't feel good don't no 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 don't feel good in fact now you feel good about it now that you found a way of making this work for you we hate it um and you're not now you have to wear silk sorry not sorry it just you know (laughs) you think you understand all of the hows and whys a thing is terrible (laughs) and there's always more there's always more there is always more bullshit um like there are always ways and this is and I don't want to say it's interesting, but like one of the things of empire, and this just happens over and over again, I just kept reading them, um, is that as soon as a colonial power turns up somewhere, they largely desperately want to kind of create a visual distinction um, in order... And to kind of enforce in everything that the colonised people do, like even the pants that they put on, like or the shoes that they choose to that they're allowed to wear, is like ingrained in the fact that they are now a colonised person. It's not the most, my most eloquent yeah. sentence, but like every aspect of their life has to be now associated with their colonisation. Like they can't have any area where they have a modicum of freedom but then they turn around and impose that upon themselves and say to themselves oh no now people within our own culture are getting like they're breaking down the social hierarchy that we developed here Uh, Mm -hmm. so now we have to 
impose a kind of similar thing upon ourselves and say this is the structure it's like you know how patriarchy hurts men as well <laughs> uh, yeah yeah basically it's putting in really really rigid expectations yeah. that everyone has to stick to and no one gets any say in it or um there's no room for individuality there's no room for expression other than what you are told you are supposed well, to express. Well, there's certainly no room for movement. Like, there's no room for you mm. to shift within those, um, within the structures that you've been told you live in. Um, yeah. So we see this, for example, in Ming Dynasty China is another place where this happens. Um and in the mm-hmm. Ottoman Empire, really, really late. This one I really like, actually. I'm going to do the Ottoman Empire first. So, 1829, um, Sultan <laughs> Mahmud II um, is having a crisis in the Ottoman Empire. And he's just been forced to sign a kind of uh, Magna Carta where the mm-hmm. uh, his officials, his kind of um, ruling class have forced him to sign this thing which says that they have a certain amount of power um right. which he just can't do what he basically wants. yeah um so he and there's been some issues uh so he decides to create um working within this but at the same time enforcing his own power so to kind of reiterate his power he decides to create a new clothing system for people within the ottoman empire mm-hmm. Um, particularly officials, um, non-army officials, and it is all based around the fez hat. (laughs) And you know when you watch, like, 50s films and they go to North Africa or they go to Turkey or whatever and everyone's wearing a fez and you're like, this is such a weird, like, what Mm -hmm. a weird stereotype got attached to (laughs) to, to Ottomans. This is why. It turns out wow, okay. that it was the law that everyone wore a fez. <laughs> and more specifically, people so not- had different types of fez based on their rank within the hierarchy. So, okay, so like what, what were the different So types? he has, okay, so he doesn't have to wear a fez. Him and the Grand Visor are like the only two people that don't have to wear a fez. Um, they get to wear other fancy headgear. This is an interesting thing about mm-hmm. um, Islamic empires, particularly, which is that they're really focused on headgear. Um, but mm-hmm. so they're allowed to wear fancy headgear. All bureaucrats have to wear a plain fez. Uh, mm-hmm. So like a plain red just fez, no adornment, just little a little wee circle yeah. felt um, with a tassel. Military wear the fez, but they wrap a cloth around it. So oh, okay. keep it on, presumably, while you're riding about. Yeah. I'm thinking of who had what kind of fears in 1999. <laughs> by the way. Um, this is my, this is my, like, my, your fez-based hallmark. What, what do you call it? Um, yeah, it's the mummy. I mean, it's the hallmark of everything. So. <laughs> um, there's 17 levels of officials and they all have slightly different, um, fezes and clothing that they're allowed that they have to wear in order to mark themselves as being part of that mm-hmm. also commoners were expected to adopt the fez and this is quite radical because for a very very long time from the very beginning of arabic empires from like the ninth century when 
um, the Islamic Caliphate first began, um, mm-hmm. wearing headgear to mark out your um, religious status has been very, mm-hmm. very strong part of um, the Caliphate's rules. So um, they call the Caliphate calls um, non-believers who live within the Islamic Empire dimmi. Um, and they are banned from wearing Arab style headgear at any time. Um, mm-hmm. So they're not allowed. There's Islamic uh, prayer caps, um, specific kinds of hoods, and specific kinds of robes as well, like prayer robes, um, that they're not allowed to wear. Um, and sure. But it's very focused on what kind of hat um, you're allowed to wear and belt as well. They're very into accessorizing. So there's a specific kind mm-hmm. of belt called the Zunar which uh, (laughs) non-believers have to wear. Um, Uh And in 850, so very early in the Islamic Empire, um, Caliph al-Matawakil introduced rules for Dimi, which is that Christians, Jewish people, and I cannot say this word, so I apologise now, Zoroastrians um, have to wear a Mm -hmm. honey-coloured hood, which is called a talasian, um, which kind of a shoulder length hood and the Zunar belt mm-hmm. um, and they have to wear buttons on um, any hats that they wear um, and yeah so basically they're marked so at all times um, and they have to wear yellow on their sleeves as not um, so at any time they are marked as non-Muslim mm-hmm. um, and then non-Muslim women have to wear if they're wearing an Azar which is a kind of wrap skirt um then that has to be a honey color as well so this wearing of specific hats um and markings on hats and headgear has been a core part of arabic empire since the beginning and then um sultan mahmud second comes along Mm. and says we've eradicated all of that now everyone wears a fez Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's simple. And it, it makes quite know, a big difference because it eradicates that kind of difference. Um, middle and upper classes get well into it because of the first time that um, Jewish and Christian um, middle classes within the empire can really compete on clothing grounds. Um, but the common people continue wearing <laughs> what they were wearing or get really into jazzy fezzes. Yeah. I mean you would, wouldn't you? You'd want to and see what you could do with they this. They put them on monkeys. You've got your hat. What are you going to uh, what are you going to put on it? I mean Yeah. yeah um, sure. We've so all that seen is Aladdin. Why... Yeah. <laughs> Which obviously is not during the Ottoman but that Empire is why... but does have a But that's why when you want so... to say here is an Arabian thing um any time after the 19th century, you put a fez on it. Yeah, I don't think it's just accurate, and that is very, very late in like Hmm. generally. So there was this thing which is called the Great Masculine Renunciation, which I looked at and thought that is a rabbit hole. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That if I go down it, we'll have to do like a four-hour podcast. so if somebody wants to ask us a question about the great masculine <laughs> renunciation, then please do. Uh, but basically, in short, when you get to the early 19th century, um, 
Victorian period-ish, uh, men stop wearing nice clothes. And from the kind of early sure. 19th century through to about 1930-ish, there is this period where Western men just move away from wearing nice things and move towards wearing clothing which is grey and the invention of the bog standard suit that is the same shape for everyone and mm-hmm. so all the <laughs> yeah, boy exactly. men like the, this the is menswear and it is one thing this is why um and it's called the great masculine renunciation yeah. because before that they're wearing brocades they're wearing silk they're wearing exciting slippers they're wearing 24 inch points on their shoes yeah. they've got wigs Exactly, and men They've and women are competing from in the same way to and are wearing very similar things um, in slightly different ways, but with the same fabrics, with the same excitement, with the same colour, with the same embellishment. Um, and then something happens to poor men and they mm-hmm. uh, there's this great revolution called the renunciation and they go, no. Uh, <laughs> it is sad, really, when you think about it's so it. so sad. Yeah. Um, it's just makes it makes me really I grateful know. for you know Billy Porter and but still um, they get Harry Styles and everyone and, who's but still doing from, anything like, at know, all experimental. They still get tarred with that kind of nineties metrosexual brush. Like they can't possibly they like they have to be uh, unmasculine in some way. Yes, and they're not straight men, so it, it's yeah. Exactly, I don't know it's that a sign of, of queerness. Cis straight men um, who are doing and that. and therefore effeminacy yeah um which all comes from a very similar period yeah which is one of the things i wonder this is a bit of a digression but i sometimes wonder you know i know a few a few of the men i know who came out as adults that it was interesting watching how they changed their hair and clothes and it makes me wonder how many how much energy men spend just performing masculinity in this very narrow way that the moment they feel yeah. like they don't have to do that anymore. I know, you know right? It must be and such a relief like, oh, to be able to have fun. Skirts are great. Uh, I think this is why yeah. Scottish men Skirts love wearing great. kilts all the time. Because Breezy, comfortable. Kind of float about and wear something that's a bit different yeah. and a bit exciting and not grey. And they're just like, literally any chance to put a kilt on, I will put a kilt on. <laughs> Obviously you will, because it's just something that's not a suit. Yeah. Just, you have to wear a suit to work. You have to wear a suit for any kind of formal occasion. You go to a wedding, you go to your own wedding, yeah. you just wear a slightly different kind of suit. You go to the world's most formal event, you go to get knighted yeah. by the Queen, you just wear a slightly different kind of awful. Patriarchy is bad for men too, and that's why men should fight it. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. All the time. Men should fight Very it, and they should fight Billy it by Porter. wearing poofy skirts. Um, okay, so... A couple of others. So I then said, all of this has been, not all of it, but I was really keen on then seeing whether this was a Western thing or not. Um, So I went hoking about and found that it is not. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, even when you are, obviously, like we've done the Islamic Empire and the Ottoman Empire, but um, when you are looking at empire and clothing regulations outside of the West, uh, you get exactly the same stuff starts happening, really. Um, so, Ming Dynasty China, huh. um, 1368, 
Zhu uh, mm-hmm. Wanzhang conquers the Mongol Wan dynasty, announces the Ming dynasty. Step one, introduces mm-hmm. a sweeping reform of how everyone dresses. Literally step one. Um, uh-huh. Yes, he ordered that all dress be restored to the Tang style. All scholars and commoners tie their hair into top knots. All official wear black gauze caps, round collared robes, belts and black boots. Scholars and commoners wear turbans, very coloured round robes, avoiding yellow and black. Yes. He then attempts to... um, So that's like step one, is to basically try to eradicate Mongol clothing. Um, and say that he is making China great mm-hmm. again by bringing back the Tang Dynasty style, like proper Chinese style. Um, obviously, it doesn't work because these things literally never mm-hmm. work. But he's aiming to. You can't completely you control, really how control how people uh, behave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, so he tries to do that. It's partly to show that make his servants, servants, subjects show that they are loyal. Um, by agreeing to the new dress code. He then introduces the Great Ming Commandment, of mm-hmm. which Article 51 outlines 14 separate provisions um, for dresses, hats, accessories, burial plots, home decor, mm-hmm. um, types of house, <laughs> uh, embroidery, all kinds of, like, basically anything that you can consume is now regulated based on mm-hmm. your... Um, place within the official hierarchy across the empire so you have civil officials uh, sub-officials provincial officials municipal officials military officials scholars uh, courtiers and then the populace at large so they all have like different things that they're allowed to wear and then because why the good thing about uh Wang Zhang is that he draws this up before he is emperor. So he has it literally, like the year before he has drawn this up. So he has it ready to go on day one. Um, and so he spent a lot of time thinking uh-huh. about it. So he has these 14 different uh, things that are being regulated. He then has the however many different types of different ranks. And then he has types of dress. So court dress, sacrificial ceremony dress, audience dress, everyday dress, and casual or leisure dress. Okay. Okay. So, so if you is like, are we're gonna make a it specific. court official or uh, like in the imperial court of any level, then you have to effectively, anytime you want to paint a window <laughs> or wear some shoes you have to consult like a handbook <laughs> uh in order to see what you're allowed to wear <laughs> um and then on top of that there are um different embroidered uh kind of patches like embroidery patterns that are allowed to be worn by different ranks um mm. and that embroidery is made out of different things so only the emperor can wear the gold embroidered clawed dragon, but then members of the imperial family can wear the embroidered clawed mm-hmm. dragon, but not in gold, um, and so on and so forth. And there's like different insignia that get embroidered in different things. Oh, uh, and then because this is China, sure. um, everywhere else in the world, because obviously silk comes from China, and everywhere else in the world, silk is a luxury fabric. 
which mm. it costs a lot to import. Um, and for a very, very long time, yeah. the uh, China kept the secret of how silk was made. Um, so only they could make it until the Byzantine Empire emperor um, basically did early industrial espionage and sent spies into China to sneak out the secret and they snuck out silkworms <laughs> um, and stole how silk was made so that the Byzantines could make it. Um, bastard behaviour is what it is, but yes. Did you know uh, those silk? There are there are lots of different worms that produce silk, but the silk, the particular variety that is used to make actual silk fabric, has been domesticated <laughs> for so long that they just they literally cannot survive on in the wild. So they're just little domestic things. They've now. been they domesticated for humans. thousands of years. Um. Yeah. So, as a result yeah. um, of China having full control, um, farmers are permitted to wear silks and silk gauze um as long as it is plain and as long as they're not merchants of any kind mm-hmm. um yeah uh hmm. because it is wow. considerably more accessible to them whereas in benin for example yeah. um what's modern benin but in the 18th century it was called the kingdom of dahomey um silk was only allowed to be worn by mm-hmm. the king Yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. That the value of things is yeah. so. I mean, it, it's one of those things that's logical when you think about it. I found it, an article about two so pre-colonial African, West African kingdoms, um, who basically, as they were coming into contact with primarily Portuguese traders, um, started developing really strict clothing. Um, based on who had access to imports. So silks, for example, in Dahomey, and umbrellas um, were seen by by the Dahomey aristocracy as uh, a a sign of great nobility and could only be used by the wives of the king and his favourites. Basically... Um, presumably because they're such a bizarre thing like when you think about an umbrella uh, Grace Lavery really hates umbrellas and I find that very funny (laughs) I mean they are a pain like they're not good enough you know we have to use they are a real pain they make no they're bizarre when you think about it if you think about it too much there's there's this whole bit in Danny Lavery's book which I massively recommend um, where uh, he is talking about Mm -hmm when he met Grace and Grace just rails against umbrellas, um, ideologically on the basis that they <laughs> push water away from you and therefore it has to go on to somebody else. Um, and then a couple of chapters <laughs> later, he finds an umbrella in her cupboard. And she's like, it's not mine. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I find that quite funny. Um, so it seems to be, as far as I can tell, a near enough universal thing that as soon as human peoples start oppressing one another or coming into contact with one another and exchanging stuff, they immediately turn around and say, don't do that. Um, 
you don't do yeah. that because it's too good for you you don't yeah. do that because it's, it's, it's mine uh, and largely that it's almost like they realise that they don't have any natural rights to control, so they have to assert somewhere deep down inside. In order to yeah. assert um, it's all a nonsense, Janina. Yeah, <laughs> um, it is all a nonsense, is and the it thing. all looks very funny from um, afar. Uh, but now, instead, we have yeah. But I, I think it is also. Um, we have versions of that now where it's because we're more we 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 are less keen on government oppression in general, but there are still signifiers of status. Yeah, yeah. This is why we have Gucci and why you can buy ten dollar knockoffs on the street that are terrible and that like that um controversy over it, if you yeah. can get a fake that's almost as good. But there's a there's a um. There are always ways people are trying to check whether or not something is authentic because that's the only way they can know if you spent the right amount of money on it. The right amount of money being thousands and thousands of pounds. And that's the same thing. It's just I yeah. want you to be able exactly. to see by Except looking at me that I am richer than you. you Ex- if technically available to everyone if you have the money. Um, and... Uh, you are yeah the rules around how to wear the stuff and how to access the stuff are a bit more a bit less clear um as to because it's very easy if you're a tudor yeah. to say okay you're an earl you're in this class you are a marcus you're in this class you're like those are the rules um but now and you're a nouveau riche so you're not allowed to wear gold embroidery um and so you will always stand out at a party, but now everyone yeah. can turn up wearing the same dress and the aristocracy have had to make up their own weird rules about how you know that someone's real aristocracy, like whether they can pronounce Chomley right. Um, and if you are not... <laughs> I don't think Humphrey probably meant this, yeah. but if you're not uh, from England, then uh, please... Uh, please Google... Uh, <laughs> Chumley Warner uh, and see how that is spelled because it's not how you think Chumley Warner might be spelt. Uh, also, Gumbel uh, and Keys. Google that one. See how that's spelt. Uh, <laughs> uh, and these are the weirdo rules that we have to make up in order to enforce social divisions that are imaginary. But yeah, we still have those rules. I mean, you know, we've got rid of all of the stuff yeah. that says we, you know, uh, the communal stuff, really, that says that we can legislate on this and we've got rid of the idea of having a central single figure who is allowed to do stuff that other people aren't and now we have a queen who kind of walks around in what looks like martin spencer twin sets um but also four billion pounds worth of jewelry um but but the kind of inherent idea inside of us still lasts i can't remember if i've mentioned this before i've probably mentioned it all the time but um I am always drawn to Octavia Butler in the first of the Dawn trilogy um, when humanity has been nearly enough wiped out by nuclear war um, and aliens are forced to come down to basically rescue us from ourselves mm-hmm. and they take a select group of humans who have survived um, onto the ship and start to ever so slightly genetically engineer them in order to enable them to survive longer than they did the first time around. Um and what the aliens say to the main character is um, that the problem with humans is that they are intelligent and hierarchical at their very core. And if they were just hierarchical, 
but not intelligent and didn't feel the chafe of being somewhere in the hierarchy that is not at the top, then they'd be okay. And if they were just intelligent but not hierarchical, mm-hmm. so they could have a culture or a society or any kind of group that didn't force have itself equality. into a hierarchy, um, then they'd be okay. But because they are hierarchical inherently and because they cannot have any group larger than three that doesn't have someone at the top um, and they know that where they are in that hierarchy <laughs> then they will never be happy yeah <sighs> it's not wrong it's not, not wrong, wrong. there's it? great books Octavia Butler I love her um, yeah so there we go that is yeah, the uh, history a brief history of um various different clothing laws and why they were enacted and how um and how weirdly similar they all are yeah that's i mean i guess it makes sense like as a way to try and control people and organize society like Mm -hmm. having a clear visual guide is helpful but also having gone to a high school that had a school (laughs) uniform i know how impossible it is to make people dress according to a set of guidelines that you've made up arbitrarily someone um it does not work there will always be a cool pair of shoes or that there will always be a cool pair of shoes and a cool way to roll your skirt and um the right socks and a way to make it something more than just did you have cool and uh, an organizational tool um i don't remember bags being a massive thing we definitely had cool and uncool socks and shoes and uh, a big thing was the length of your winter kilt i had mine was way too short they were meant to like basically drag on the ground um See, and we had, I mean, everything was cool or uncool in some way, but um, I did very distinctly remember there being like, because you would have to bring your PE kit in, or your like, when you did food technology, you'd bring your like your cooking stuff in, and it would usually bring it in a plastic bag. Mm -hmm. If you brought it in like a Tesco bag or something, then you may as well fling yourself into the sea for the shame. Because what you wanted was like a Jane Norman (laughs) bag or a, a. Etam bag or like, uh-huh. like there were cool bags and uncool bags plastic bags and whenever I think of that I just think god humans are yeah. stupid <laughs> yeah we really really are and like at least for that we have the defense of having been idiot children but all, yeah. we're, all of this yep. has been grown um, so, adults so that's, that's the history of that have you got anything about pants you'd like to add mm. Um, let's have a look if we can drop in some cool pants stuff. Um, basically, we had loincloths for all time. There are, We have found ones that are like from 3000 BCE, frozen. In, there was a body frozen in the, in the um, Trollian Alps and he was found with the loincloths. <laughs> so that's why it came up in underwear research, <laughs> which I think is really funny. And of course, there are still loincloths around that are used as part of various traditional indigenous outfits from across Polynesia and Asia and Africa that you can still see. Um, there are, <laughs> there are, there are records of Romans having been mm-hmm. very attached to their own particular style. Um, Tacitus wrote about Germanic, uh, Germanic tribes 
um, mm -hmm. attitudes to underwear as a mark of great wealth. Um, and there are records of soldiers having underwear sent to them in Britain from Rome. <laughs> that was how important it was. They got just the No, you're not going to get good pants in England. Um, like, they were all up in Newcastle, desperately trying to get some good pants and good socks <laughs> and failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the most of European history, it would have just been linen, linen and wool. No one was really writing down what they wore. Um, and it wasn't until the Middle Ages that cotton began to be mm -hmm. important in large enough numbers for it to spread around. Um, so uh, this was also the time when underwear was a form of penance, both in the cliched idea of hair shirts, but also in only wearing okay. underwear because that would, was a form of abasement. Um, the whole Ro Roman emperor, Henry the Henry IV, spent three days in the middle of winter wearing only a woolen shirt and naked feet um, to okay. seek absolution for his sins. But once we get to the medieval era, with we've got lovely brocades and embroideries, both because you are outerwear <laughs> yep. is super itchy and uncomfortable. Um, so this is where you just get the idea of a layer of something more pleasant underneath it. So linen or cotton or silk, um, if you could get it, which probably is a bit later than this. Um, and there also started to be the idea mm -hmm. of playing with how much of your underwear people could see. So around the 12th century, women would wear a smock underneath their dress and they developed a fashion for having a slit down the side of your dress so your smock showed through, uh, which some <laughs> creatures yep. apparently called creatures. the windows of hell. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is where the subterranean law I mentioned comes in, is in 1533 when mm -hmm. there were started to be gaps between buttons and things, so your fancy embroidered undershirt could spill out. Um, so basically you have a shirt and you have leggings or braids, um, which start braids started as basically trousers, but as tunics became longer and leggings became taller, they shrank underneath everything else until they were basically boxes. Um, in the 16th century, male shirts, what was important was mm -hmm. for them to be big square sh square neck because <laughs> they made your shoulders look really wide yes. and manly, which was very important until <laughs> tunics got short enough uh, the cod piece, to introduce the, the cod, cod piece. piece. Or the Henry VIII cod piece. Which, the black out of cod piece, which was initially... <laughs> basically just an access panel mm -hmm. so you could have a, a, a cheeky wee easily it was a bit padded protection. for protection but obviously <laughs> people started cheating on the padding, padding <laughs> until it became a giant showy offy thing also Amazing. used as a pocket have you ever seen henry so the eighth space in that you might in as well start the tower of london oh i, I haven't mentioned the tower of london since so they have like his kind of, um, I do not remember it. coat of armor, uh, but it has this enormous cod piece on it, like ridiculously massive. <laughs> and it's such a like, well, I can't buy a massive car, so I guess I'll literally get a massive cod piece. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, yeah. You've got to do what you've got to do, yeah. you know, to show everyone just how virile you are. Um, at the same time, as copies are getting bigger, skirts are getting bigger. Uh, so initially, this mm -hmm. is just adding loads of petticoats. Uh, 
But eventually someone invented the farthingale, yep. which was is the big flat hoop that is Queen Elizabeth's portraits are the most famous, I think, example of a farthingale. Uh, it's just tied around the waist and then it pops outward and your skirt falls on top of it. And again, like the shoes, it's just an absolute indicator of wealth because you cannot get anything done wearing a skirt like that. If you are having to work in the fields <laughs> yep. or anything like that, you can't, you cannot wear this. Um, this is also probably when corsets started to be being a thing. There's speculation that um, they they're, they'd already been around for a couple of hundred years, but apparently the only real indication of that is that ah, there are women and patients okay. who seem to have slender figures. So I do not, I don't think that we can, uh, I don't think that's strong evidence. Um, but by okay. by 1631, there are mentions of them in texts. There's um, a book of customs that talks about corsets of whalebone okay. and leather for women and children. Um, what basically happens from then on is we just change our minds about whether underwear is embarrassing and something we should keep to ourselves <laughs> or whether underwear is fun and sexy. Um, and sure. we just swing wildly from one direction to the other. So the Reformation obviously comes in and is like all Puritan. You can't have nice things and everyone needs to be very sober and serious. And then um, in the late... By the late 17th century as a reaction against that underwear was all saucy and fun and sexy and you have things like Afro Ben writing a play in which there's an entire scene of a man just wearing his shirt and drawers which is obviously incredibly saucy and sexy um yeah it's also uh, there is huge uh ebbs and tides with the existence of hoops and bustles which go and come and go and come back again whenever there were big skirts women could have pockets because pockets at this point are basically a yeah. bag that is on a string that you tie around your waist underneath your petticoats so they're not super accessible but they're where you carry your things when hoops went out um you know with for example uh, there was a period at the beginning of the 19th century which was where women's fashions were based very much on ancient Greek statues. Yep. They all wanted to look like a column. So that's where you get Empire Line Jane Austen dresses from. And that's where women's had to start carrying wish cubicles because <laughs> they didn't have room in their skirts for a pocket anymore. So they had to carry them in their hands. Um, there's also evidence that even back through all time there was an acknowledgement that women were wearing super uncomfortable fashions and they would not wear them if, if it wasn't for men they didn't feel like they had to impress men um there was a text called the provoked wife that includes that basically says the women would stop wearing petticoats <laughs> if there were no, no, no more men around because they they are so wary of evergreen them, evergreen which is fair um evergreen once you get to the 18th century underwear has become a specialist trade and there have been developments in the fabric that you use um for the first time people were mixing cotton and wool together so that yeah. you could make underwear that didn't shrink um so they started to you know, <laughs> there's also spread and get the more popular. unusual i say unusual very usual subject of um sacred underwear which is surprisingly common in slightly exclusionary religions um yeah. whereby like the mormon um sacred underwear that they wear is a kind of everyday yeah. reminder to be holy and chaste um but orthodox judaism has um 
kind of sacred underwear Zoroastr why can I not say this word Zoroastrianism um yeah yeah Sidra in the which is uh fast yeah. with a girdle called a kushti and Sikhism also has which um, is interesting like a kind of, of uh, uh, yeah. a private but and permanent symbol of your religious belief to remind you yeah. to be so yeah religious knickers are a big thing i think that really that mormon ones are like a big is... onesie um i might that might be uh something that i have merely been told but i think that the mormon pants are quite big yeah 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 like knee length like kneeling pants and then a top uh, tucked into them i think is the yeah the temple the temple garment thing once you get past the general flux of what corsets are like and what hoops are like and what we're doing about them um the most significant thing and i love this phrase is in the 1840s there are ads mm-hmm. that for bust improvers um which are quite common by the end of the century with a wired cup flexible celluloid um, but they weren't called bras until okay. they were just called flexible uh, bust improvers it just rolls right off the tongue doesn't it bust improvers yeah yeah um also it's not until the mm. uh, dawn of the 20th century that we start talking about lingerie and frenchifying having it. nice flirty frilly fabrics the other thing that i think is interesting to just drop in is um <laughs> the invention of uh, elastic obviously changed things as the Industrial Revolution. And then uh, a guy called C.F. Bennett in Chicago decided he needed to help mm-hmm. bicyclists who were riding on cobbled streets. So he invented <laughs> something hey. called the bike jockey strap in 18, 1874 to protect, uh, protect oh. your tender areas when well, you were cycling yeah, that's down a cobbled street. And that is what we now call the jockstrap. That's where the jockstrap comes from. It was called a jockstrap. Um, there you go. Bike jockey. There you go. Short for jockey. <laughs> well, jockey strap. That's two questions in yeah. one. Um, I think we've done very well. Yeah. Personally. <laughs> next time, I'm very excited. What are we going to um, talk about next time? Comes from Richard Cosgrove. And the question is, what's the real story behind the death of Rasputin the Mad Monk? Is the story we know the biggest lie that's ever been told? Um, and I'm excited for this because I found <laughs> in a charity shop last year during the wee, kind of wee break in lockdown, Rasputin's daughter's biography of her father. And it's one of the most crackers things <laughs> I have ever read. And I'm so excited to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is really, surprisingly really, homophobic. Really great. Uh, a lot. <laughs> uh, so look out for that one. <laughs> Great. Cool. Until then, if you have a question, uh, we have a website now. Janina made it. It's great. Uh, you can go there and you can send us a message on Indeed. it. It's historyissexy.com. It also has links to our coffee page and to the yeah. new merch um, store that we've done. We made some t-shirts. And you can see all of the show notes and everything there. So if you want to know where we found out all of this information, uh, you can find it from there. 
If you want to a link to a book that will basically list at every history period of history since the Middle Ages yeah. what shirts looked like. Exactly and what you what always ever wanted. Breaches <laughs> looked like. Then that's what um, it yeah, and you can find our Twitter. <laughs> we are now at History Is Pod due to being porn bot accused. Um and and I think that's it, Janina. Until Ra Ra Rasputin next week. I think that yeah. is it. Bye. Yeah.